You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Barbara McGinnis and Chris Johnson, along with other members of the Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law Team, talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, I'm Dana Henschel, Outreach Coordinator for Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law. Happy Valentine's Day. That is when this podcast is set to air. Um, And Valentine's Day is usually all about chocolates and candies and expressing feelings of love. Um, And today we are speaking with Caitlin Green, one of the elder care coordinators here at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law, about a unique gift to consider for your loved ones this year. Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Dana. I'm so glad to have this conversation. I love this topic. Well, you know, as my family ages or journeys down the care continuum, as we like to call it here, um, more and more, I'm starting to value the gift of preparation. You know, um, no one likes to think about the what ifs in life, but I'm finding that uh, talking about them and planning for them yields much better results than just hoping for the best, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I like to say there's no substitute for preparedness, and that absolutely uh, attends to age. Right. And you actually wrote an article uh, for this month's uh, local paper, the Hendersonville Standard, called Love Me Tender, Love Me True, which addresses some of these points and some ideas. And I think uh, the first one and one of my favorites is avoid making your children promise things beyond their control. Can you talk about that? Most definitely. And, you know, one of the things about planning that some people miss is the emotions that are attached. Attending to the needs mentally, emotionally, existentially, spiritually. There are some things that parents can do to not only save some hassle time and money, but also to lay some foundation for their children to have that peace of mind and some stability and even some um, coping and stress mechanisms built into the plan. And so one of those things to do is avoid making them promise things. Y'all have families all the time that will come, especially children, and say, well, I promised my mother that I would never put her in the nursing home. Well, what they really mean is that I want to promise my mother the quality of life and the dignity that she respects, and I will always advocate for that. That's what they really mean. But where somebody is placed to get the best care is all not always within the child's control. You know, right. if we get... We get to a point where, let's use the example of a daughter and a mother. The daughter cannot fully promise to never put mama in a, quote, nursing home. What if what if mama needs somebody to help lift and bathe her and the daughter's not physically able to do it? Then we have set the child up to break the promise. But it's really about what, what, did she, what is she really promising? Promising right. to advocate for dignity, for respect. Promising not to just sit mom in a corner somewhere and forget about her. You know, that, that's what we're really talking about. Right. Another one of the, of the promises that I see all the time, which I think is funny, is um, I hear this from parents. Now, you promise that you'll get brother so-and-so to preach my funeral. 
Well, mom, what if he dies before you? Well, I don't want anybody else. Well, what what are we really promising? The, the really the motive or the feeling behind that is promise me that you will remember my values. Promise me that you will note my legacy, what matters to me, maybe my culture, maybe my religion, maybe my beliefs, maybe my, my ethics. Promise me that that's important. That's what it really means. So that's one of the things I see a lot. I think that those points are so important. And I think, you know, as parents, as you think about gifts to give your family, being able to sit your family down, your your power of attorney, the child that you've put in charge of your care, or even just as a family at the dinner table saying, look, I want to stay home as long as possible. Everybody does. But I know that there are circumstances beyond my control that may not allow that to be possible. And I want you to know that I trust you Mm -hmm. best decision for me. And that is a gift. Isn't it? Oh, they won't even know it really at the kitchen table, but years later that that gift will turn into peace of mind. That gift will turn into to existential burden off their shoulders. And I wish that I could, uh, kind of capture that and show that to families how this actually is a huge gift later on usually right and also I think that people need to reframe uh, the taking care of people you know because I, I've recently had to place a loved one in a facility and you know of course the goal is always to go home Um, but you've got to think about your capabilities. You know, the neighbors are like, well, we could maybe come together and, and check in on her, or, you know, maybe I could come home after work every day and check in on her. But I find that to be kind of mediocre care. Why are we all going to stress ourselves out for mediocre care when she could have great care, great activities, uh, supervision, people around the clock, and medical care at her fingertips. Absolutely, and may may thrive in an environment because we don't know what we don't know. You know, we um, sure stack stacking resources is so important. I like to say playing Jenga. You know, that's kind of my thing. And maybe the neighbors checking in on her might be one piece of it, but it's complicated. We cannot we cannot lay this goal of quality of life. We can't determine it solely on whether the neighbor can come over or not. You know, we can't we can't put it all all on one bed. So I I absolutely agree with you that we really need to assess the whole matter. And it does get complicated. You know, what about meds? What about food? What about you know all the activities during the day? What about hygiene? And what about the social context? What if our loved one would do better? As if they're a social butterfly in somewhere where there's a chess club or a crochet club or a genealogy ancestry club. What if the neighbor goes and visits somewhere else and they go out to lunch once a week? You know, how can we best stack it towards quality of life? Exactly. And I think it's so important to define your quality of life and to do it prior to the event. You know, we have a tool, a very helpful tool here uh, at our firm that we give to clients called Do You Know My Wishes? And it's so much more than just a 
a post form, like resuscitate me, don't resuscitate me, put me on the machine or don't put me on the machine. Right. It's a great tool to talk about your quality of life. And I used it uh, for my aunt uh, months before her stroke. And I have referenced it several times, you know, because we talked about what is a good day for you? You know, if yeah. you're in a recliner and watching TV, if you can do that um, and be happy, would you be happy? And her answer actually as a very active older woman surprised me. She said, you know, if I can sit in a recliner and watch my football and eat ice cream, then I'm going to be happy. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that helps. Yeah. Um, and then I have my mother who I asked that question and she's like, no, I would not be happy doing that. I want to be, you know, if I can't do this and this and that, I don't, I don't want to be here. So mm -hmm. that, you know, and it's not like I can, you know, control things beyond my control, but it does help direct me when we're making medical decisions for her. It gives me a guide. Sure, especially um, looking into resources, what's available, who can do what, where, who can you bring in, where can she go. It's really, um, you know, theoretically or academically, we call it ascribing human value or ascribing human um, potential. And what it, gets, what it gets down to is that she's still here. There are some people that give me my cup of coffee and my football and leave me alone. And if that is their best life, I'll do everything in my power to make that happen. Then you have people that say, I have got to go to Red Hat Society at least once a month. I'm in DAR. I'm in this book club. I'm in this. I'm in that. I'm in that. And I want to go to church every Sunday, whether that is physical at the church house or if I can tune in online or I can stream. I need that contact. And that is equally as important. And so I think quality of life is as unique as the person. Therefore, so should the care coordination or should the plan be. Right. And I think, of course, we're going back to giving your kids the gift, having these conversations before there is a crisis and giving your kids direction mm -hmm. and maybe telling if, if you have certain wishes about how you want things to go. Yes. Informing your advocate and your agent, but also letting the other siblings know so that when that agent makes a decision that maybe they don't agree with, they know, Hey, she's just doing what mom asked her to do. Absolutely. Well, and you know, the best tip that I was taught and that I use, and then I try to pass on to other people is that recognize that it's very hard for a parent to discuss end of life, discuss hard times of life, and discuss their own mortality with their child because they're still the parent. They do not want to put that kind of a burden or put that kind of strain or stress on their children, and so they avoid talking about it. Well, what that ends up doing is making double stress, double burden. And so my tip is to put somebody in the middle. Somebody like you and I or um, a pastor or a social worker, a doula, some, someone that can direct the comments because it's much easier for me to say, okay, son, 
Um, I want to ask your dad a certain, certain questions in his opinion. And I just wanted you to be here to be, to listen to it. I wanted you to be present, to be fully aware of what he feels. And then I can talk to dad, you know, dad, one of the things on this advanced care directive, it asks about a feeding tube. What are your feelings about a feeding tube? What if it's temporary? What if it's for the rest of your life? How do you feel about it? What would you do? Well, how do you feel about hospice? Did you, did you pre-plan a burial or cremation? How do you feel about that? And if you want to be cremated, where, where are we supposed to put you? Do you want to be put on the mantle or should we scatter you in the Adirondacks? And it's much easier for me to almost wingman that for the ch- children and be that person to be a, a safe feedback board. If I bring it up, then it's dad's opinion is heard and son can fully observe. If dad brings it up, it puts stress on the son because he doesn't want to be, he don't want to put that burden. If son brings it up, the dad's like, don't worry about it. I'm still the dad. I can handle it. So I like kind of taking the tension off the table by just being a sounding board. And there's all kinds of ways that you can do that in your family unit. I love what you said, the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. Kitchen table is a great place for that. So I think also your third point uh, in the article that you wrote and that we we preach here at the firm is to create a plan B. I mean, everybody's plan is I'm going to be healthy and then I'm going to get in my own bed and meet the Lord, you know, and unfortunately, that's great. But I just read an article that said 70 percent of people, that's not going to happen for them. So, so they need to create a plan B and, um, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Well, and that's one of those things about Jenga, you know, we can't, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, who we talk about end of life. We don't know who's going to die first. We don't know what sickness is going to come or even what good things are going to come. We don't know who's going to win the lottery. We don't know who's going to, um, you know, have a book published and become a mega star, that kind of thing. Older adults, um, the potential is endless, but we know that older adults statistically are the greatest users of healthcare. We know that they have multiple doctors. We know that uh, that is a time in life where you start planning for retirement. We know that that's the time maybe you have an empty nest. Maybe you consider assisted living. Maybe you don't. Maybe you, you're doing bucket list stuff. Whatever it is, there needs to be a contingency. You know, if we, uh, like you said, we would love to stay at home and you, we can bring in whoever we need for help. And if that doesn't work, then what? Well, they may say, we really like the idea of assisted living or we really love the idea of a 55 plus community. Okay, great. That just gives us a guideline for our map. Right. I, I almost would say, go ahead and do a plan C. <laughs> but I know that that's, that's a lot in one conversation, those heavy conversations. But it, I think creating that plan B is really a natural segue from how do you feel about this or how do you feel about that? And then they can say, well, if that didn't work, then um, I've seen hospice care really help families or physical therapy or resources from the VA or I've experienced this. All kinds of things kind of come out of those conversations. So Really, if you avoid making children promise things and you just haven't be open about the conversation, that's going to lead to defining your quality of life. And then naturally what's going to occur is there's going to be a plan A and a plan B. So hopefully if you can attend the first one, you'll also give the gift of the second and the third one. Right. And I, you know, I was fortunate enough 
to be raised by my great grandparents. I I grew up going to funerals. We grew up going to seeing people kind of in the later stages of life. And so that was just an ongoing conversation on the Sunday drives, the tables after church. So this was a very easy, ongoing conversation, not heavy at all, that I had and joked about with my mom's side of the family. Mm -hmm. My dad's side of the family, we never talked about it. And it is a very difficult conversation to have. It is night and day. I don't feel comfortable bringing it up. So the gifts, a gift that you can give your family is to not make it uncomfortable. Absolutely. um, I think you had shared uh, in a separate episode or article about during COVID and you're witnessing families having to make tough decisions And it was night and day, you could tell, okay, they've talked about this at length in times when it wasn't crisis and how easy, not easy, but it was just so less stressful and so calm for those families who knew the plan than those who had had not talked about it at all. Oh yeah, short-term and long-term. You know, when the pandemic hit, it was not just the older people that were faced with these decisions. I, I witnessed young people, 40s, 50s, having to make decisions for their six spouses who all of a sudden had the virus. And then the doctor comes and wants to know about, well, what about a ventilator? Or what about this? Or what about that? What about this? And it was just heartbreaking to see these families go, what? I have no idea what they would have said. I have no idea what to do. And of course, we can guide uh, those families. And I like to be a support for those families. But I noticed very distinctly how the guide of just, oh, we talked about this, or I heard him say, or even uh, if, let's say, Dana, the child had had the the conversation with their parents and then went home and discussed what happened with their spouse. They then have given the gift to somebody else and it just keeps going. But uh, on your comments about, you know, there are some families that it is very uncomfortable and we just don't talk about it. I, for those families, I would absolutely recommend getting creative. I have seen families uh, where your grandfather writes it all down or does a videoed interview that he's not ready to talk about this with his kids but he may talk about it with me. And then when the time is at hand and those decisions have to be made, I can pass that on, whether it's um, giving them this interview that I've had with him or whether it's uh, he and I discussing his time in World War II, you know, leaving those legacies, kind of giving a guide. And I like to, to ask, you know, how do you feel about any number of topics? And that is a peace of mind, kind of a backup. It's almost like a hug for whoever is left to make decisions. That's exactly right. Well, Caitlin, um, thank you so much for this conversation. I I think it's important to continue to have because I do feel like it is such a gift. Uh, So on this Valentine's Day, please consider uh, an alternate gift for your loved ones. Uh, So that's it for today's episode. Take Us McGinnis Elder Care Law is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. 
Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.